15 years, maybe. Yeah. Um, Viv got us once to stare in each other's eyes to really connect, and I think we lasted about... 30 seconds. No. No, not even that. <laughs> <laughs> before we both started crying. Um, <laughs> so uh, we, we know... This is before you read that book, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we know the good stuff, we know the bad stuff, we know uh, some of the pain that we've been through. Uh, and Ed and Emma, they, they led a, a, ch a central London vineyard and they met at a church called, at a pub called, a bar called Grace. And uh, so they were known as uh, extenders of grace. And so as we continue our series on, on Ephesians and looking at grace, uh, we just thought these guys would be amazing at um, talking about it. So let's pray for, let's pray for um, Ed, Ed Wilson. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for him. We pray you'd fill him. Thank you for all that he's received from you, and we receive him with thanks. Amen. So let's welcome Pastor Ed. <laughs> Thank you. It's really nice to be here. A box of tissues would be good, yeah. That's for when I call you up later. Um, as Steve said, my name's Ed, and I'm a husband and a father. Uh, I've got three kids. They're all joyous, especially when they're in the other room. Um, currently, I work as a chimney sweep, so if you need your chimneys cleaned, I'm your man. Or if you want a wood-burning stove, speak to Josh later, because we can fit one of those for you. Josh also works for me. Um, I find it quite interesting, isn't it? I was thinking, you know, how do I introduce myself? It's, we often say, oh, you know, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is what I do. And yet, it's only such a small part of us, isn't it? Um, you know, I've been uh, a builder, a carpenter. I've been a youth worker. I've been a pastor. Uh, I've been a salesman. Ha -ha. Uh, I trained as a teacher. I've done a bit of teaching. Uh, God bless you that work with our kids. It's a hard job. Um, and numerous other things, including being a rubbish collector, which is when I met, no, it wasn't when I met Steve. As Steve and Viv have said, we uh, met about 15 years ago at our old church, Southwest London Vineyard. Uh, and for the last five years, we've been leading a church in central London, which we've just stopped, um, called Grace. I became a Christian. Uh, I'm, I met Jesus, I met God when I was about 12 years old. Uh, and I had an incredible encounter of um, encountering his love. Uh, I, had that, I had that moment, I don't know if you've had a moment like this, where we'd been worshipping like we'd just been done now, and um, uh, it was quite emotional. I don't know if you find worship emotional, maybe it's just me. And um, this guy spoke, and he talked about Jesus, and I went, I, I think I know, I think I want to know Jesus. Uh, and in that moment... Someone prayed for me. But in that moment, in fact, before someone prayed for me, I had this overwhelming sense that God knew me. He knew everything about me. Completely. I was completely undone. In that split second, I was like, oh, poo. <laughs> he knows everything. And then in a flash, like before I could even breathe out, I felt this overwhelming sense of his love. Uh, and that's, my st that's the beginning of my story. You'll get to hear some more later, maybe. Um, I just want to say, Steve and Viv, uh, we've known them a while. 
you are incredibly lucky and privileged to have them as your pastors. I can't recommend them highly enough to you. They love Jesus with a passion. They love people with a passion. Uh, and there's nothing they wouldn't do for him. Uh, so be blessed. Enjoy your time here. Right, we've been, you've been doing a series on, it's called Born Identity, is it called? As in Jason Bourne? Is that based on you, Steve? You know, that kind of rough, tough, don't mess with me, slightly emotionally detached. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you've been here the last few weeks, I think these are some of the things you should have been hearing about. Have you done all these ones? I'm going to rattle them off. If people have been very, like, not sticking to the script, I'm going to look bad. You have done, I am a saint. I am full of grace and peace. I am in Christ. I am free from shame. I am adopted. I am redeemed. I'm a forgiver. And I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. And today we're doing another I am. We're doing I'm saved by grace. And we're going to be looking at this passage, I think it's in Ephesians 2. Is it Ephesians 2? Steve, do you know? It's not 1 Corinthians, no. <laughs> I've slightly cheated. I've gone back a little bit further than Viv told me to because I think it puts a bit more context on the passage. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your, in, in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's quite wordy, isn't it? I find Paul quite difficult to understand at times. I find him quite complex. I think it's quite simple what he's saying, but sometimes the structure of it's a bit transgressions and this and what's that and Anyway, today, I want to talk about how we engage our minds, so we can think about these words. But also, I want to talk about how we can engage our hearts. You know, it's as our, we engage our minds and as we engage our hearts, uh, it's, it's through doing these things that we affect our actions, you know, and therefore we affect our lives. And the lives of the people we know, the people we love, the people we work with, you know, the community that we are part of, you part of Ballum, this area, southwest London, south, southwest London. Am I allowed to say southwest London? So there's a couple of concepts I want to 
draw out this passage. You've probably already heard about If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard of these and got some kind of idea what they mean. If you haven't, that's great. You can get to learn a bit today, get to think about these things. Um, what I want to do is to get you to think about them, to grapple with them, to take them away with you, to take them back to God in your times with God, and to go back to the Bible and, and think about them again and look at them again. Okay? This isn't just me telling you what to do. This is about you engaging and thinking and changing to be more like God wants you to be. Okay, three concepts that we often hear about when we talk about Christians or we talk about church. First one is salvation. The second one is mercy. And the third one is grace. So quickly, I'm not doing all the work today. Quickly, either on your own or with someone nearby to you or in a couple or three or four, just come up with a, a, what you think each one of these statements is, yeah? We're going to revisit these things. Salvation, mercy, grace. Okay, you've got a quick two minutes. Go. The front row's nailed it. No looking at your phones, that's cheating. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Okay, how are we doing? Do you need more time when you got there? Thumbs up if you think you've got some answers that you, you're vaguely happy with. You're happy. No, I'm not picking anyone. Only Steve. Okay, we're just going to do salvation to start with. Right, so anyone, anyone want to give me maybe an idea of what they think salvation means? Go on, risk it for a biscuit. Someone's gonna. Is that a hand? No. 
Just a question I hear. Anyone? I will pick on someone if not. Being saved? Okay. Being fully restored back to God from before the fall. So to our original selves. Okay. Anyone else? Laura's come in at the wrong moment. Are you coming to join me, Laura? No. Shouldn't be late, Laura. I've, I've got the mic, and I know too much about you. <laughs> You've been preaching in other churches. I better watch myself. Okay. Here's a, here's a couple of things. Uh, the direct English translation means deliverance from danger or suffering. Obviously, it comes from the word, to, uh, the word save or the phrase to save, which means to deliver or protect. My first thought when I think about salvation is, we think, West Ham. <laughs> to deliver and protect, to save. West Ham's defence could do with a bit of salvation, I think. No? Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, when, what I find quite interesting, when you look at what Jesus says about salvation, he often uses it yeah, in relation to entering the kingdom of God, into God's kingdom, into a life relationship with God. Yes, delivered. Yes, delivered from judgment and protected. Here's a really wordy definition that I found quite difficult, but some of you might like. The deliverance by the grace of God from eternal punishment for sin, which is granted to those who accept by faith God's conditions of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Salvation is available in Jesus alone. And we can see that in John and in Acts. And it's dependent on God alone for provision, assurance, and security. Sound good? Sounds quite hard work, doesn't it? When it's put like that. I like it a little bit simpler. I like my things simplified a little bit. I think a better idea for me would be that it's the promise of eternal life with God, given by God to those who receive it. I don't know about you, but in this world, uh, I find it's quite a transactional world. You know, if I want something, you know, I see something I like, it's a new Apple iPhone, it's a new chimney sweep brush, it's a bike to go cycling on round Richmond Park, things I bought recently. Uh, I have to pay for it, right? There's a transaction. If I want something, there's a cost. I want this, it's going to cost me that. Sometimes it's not always money. Sometimes, you know, if I want my wife to do something, like clean the house, I might have to be nice to her. If she wants me to do something, she often has to be nice to me. You know, it's not just, but there's a cost. There's, there's a transaction. The problem is we take this experience and understanding of what we do in the world into our relationship with God. It feels like, and often act like, I have to pay for my salvation. I have to pay for God to step in and, and do something for me. I feel like, uh, you know, I need to be my best person. I need to stop swearing and I need to make sure I don't tell any lies and I need to, you know, not talk badly about people. I need to, do you know what I mean? It feels like, oh, I, I can't approach God. I can't come to God 
unless I've sorted my life out. And there is a transaction that happens. But the Bible teaches us that the transaction's been done. And that transaction is done on the cross in Jesus. The payment has been made. I don't know about you, but if you look back in the Old Testament, if you look back in the Old Testament, you see this group of people that are called the Jewish nation, uh, you know, the Israelites, the Hebrews. And every time I look at the story, the stories that happen in the Old Testament, I see God reaching out to them. God reaches out to them first. And then they come back to him and they say sorry. And God blesses them and then they fall away. And God reaches out to them again, and then they sort their and they say sorry, and they sort, sort their stuff out again, and then they fall away, and you get this pattern. But every time, it's not the Israelites don't sort themselves out and then come to God. God reaches out to the Israelites, and in that act of love and that act of mercy, that's where you see them turning around, turning their lives around. Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. His love comes first. I don't know about you, but when I go out into the world and I talk about Jesus and I talk about my faith and I talk to people about salvation, I don't really use that word, but if I talk about being saved, uh, people often think I'm talking about what's going to happen when I die. Did anyone come up with that? Salvation is something that happens when I die. Certainly that's something I learned when I was a kid. You know, we're talking about my physical death. What happens once I die? Where am I going to go? What's going what's to happen to me? But Jesus talked about being born again. And he talked about dying to yourself. So I think there's a, in, in reality, there's a spiritual death that happens when we come to Jesus as well as a physical death that happens later on. Jesus said we must die and be born again to receive eternal life which is salvation. You know, I don't know about you but I quite often want to die to my selfishness and my self-reliance and my, my own ego. And the great thing is he offers us that now, not when we die. Salvation is something, this is kind of my key point about what salvation is, is that it starts, it can start, and it has started right now. It doesn't start when I get to heaven. I haven't got to sort my stuff out so that I can be saved. It starts right here, right now. Okay, mercy. Anyone give me a mercy definition? We've forgotten about what we've said already. Mercy? Come on, you have one down here, I heard yours. Not getting what you deserve. Anyone agree with that? Happy with that? Go on. Forgiveness. Good. We're happy, we're happy with that definition, yeah? Right, let's move forward. I find often mercy and grace, often they're used like at the same time in conjunction with each other. And I think often we confuse the two things, and I'll explain why. Mercy. 
being God withholding from us what we do deserve, uh, his punishment and judgment, and grace being given what we don't deserve. That's often what you would hear. Uh, sometimes it's people would say it's the unmerited favor of God. Okay, so often a good idea when you have a belief is to test that belief out. So, if you've got this concept of what mercy is and what grace is, sometimes it's a good idea to take that concept and go back to the Bible and look up some passages where it talks about mercy, it talks about grace. And instead of using the word, put the translation in, right? So we take the word, put it in the translation, and we see how it fits and see how it works. I'm not going to do that today because there's about 150 mentions of grace just in the New Testament, uh, mostly by Paul, uh, and we'd be here till next Sunday, and you'd be utterly bored of me by then. So we won't do that, but we're going to look at a couple of passages. Before we do that, quick prerequisites to help you kind of frame this. First is God is good. How do I know this? It's my experience, but it's also what the Bible tells me. But more importantly, it's what Jesus tells me and shows me. A quick one on that is that my experience is, if you want to understand who God the Father is, then look at Jesus. He had the best view, right? He had the perfect view. He knew him intimately. If you want to know what God the Father's like, what does Jesus say he's like? And more than that, what does he demonstrate he's like? Because they were so close. Slightly lost myself. Okay, so God is good. Look for Jesus. See what he says. Secondly, God is just. He demands that wrongs are accounted for. And he demands that things are made known and people are held to account. Okay. There's this passage in Hebrews 6, verse 14. It says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. So, grace, God's unmerited favor, mercy, not getting what we justly deserve. I have a couple of questions to poke your brains with and maybe your hearts and make you think about this. Firstly, it seems like grace could be unmerited favor because God is good to us even though we don't deserve it. Under the law in the Old Testament, we deserve death and separation. You know, we've, we heard that in our passage. So this definition kind of fits, okay? That works. It fits quite well. And I don't know about you, but for me, my reality is that God has been distant. He has been far away. He has been something that's been hard to grapple with to get to know at times in my life. And so it feels like it feels like this works. So there's three questions. If grace is unmerited favor, God is good to us even though we don't deserve it, then the logical conclusion is then everyone gets it, right? Because we're all undeserving. We all fall short. It says that in the passage. 
Then why does it say this? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It crops up twice in the New Testament, and the writers are referring back to a passage in the Old Testament in Proverbs, I think. Indeed, Paul also seems to question the view when he says in Romans, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? If it's unmerited, undeserved, then why does God not give it to the proud, but only to the humble? Okay, hold that. Secondly, if it's unmerited, how can we fall from it? Obviously, falling from grace is referred to in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Surely God isn't going to give me something that I don't deserve and then take it away because I don't deserve it. That, to me, that's a bit like, what? I'm, I'm, is that just me? That you're going to give me something I don't deserve and then take it away because I don't deserve it? I mean, that doesn't make any sense unless I've completely misunderstood the passage. Thirdly, Jesus is being described as full of grace and filled with grace at his baptism. And my question is, are we saying Jesus needed the unmerited favor of God? Surely if anyone deserved it, Jesus deserved it, right? He was perfect. Okay. So unmerited favor. If it's not grace, what is it? I think it's mercy. Okay, stay with me. Why is mercy unmerited favor? Because God is good and his mercy is over all his works. Basically, the whole world is held together by his mercy. There's this passage in the Old Testament, you, you should know it. It says, he makes the rain to fall and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. It's there for everyone. God loves all of us. That's his mercy. But we're not, all we're not all in relationship with him. If we are saved by grace, being unmerited favor, then we are all saved and we don't need to do anything. It's done. Whoopie-doo. If only life was that easy. I don't think it's particularly hard, but I don't think it's that easy. You know, we don't need to change. There's no transformation. There's no becoming more like Christ. And trust me, for me, that's a disaster because I need some transformation. Steve knows I need some transformation, just as I know Steve needed some transformation. Obviously, he's nearly there now, <laughs> just leading his church. But You know, I need to be changed into the likeness of Christ. I need to be changed into the Ed that reflects the image of God. You know, in that beginning of that passage that we read out at the beginning, if I can find it, it says... He made us alive in Christ. He made us alive in Christ. I don't know about you, but being really alive, being really me, being really the person that God's created me to be, that's my desire. That's my, that's what my spirit calls out for. Now I've really lost my place. So my point is this, I think we're all under his mercy. We all know, or maybe we don't know, but the reality is that God loves us. 
but we're not all walking in his grace. We're not all in relationship with the Father. So if grace isn't unmerited favor, what is grace? I heard a guy put it like this, and it resonates with me, so maybe it will resonate with you. Grace is the empowering presence of God, enabling you to be who he created you to be and to do what he has called you to do. Let me just repeat that. Grace is the empowering presence of God, enabling you to be who he created you to be and to do what he has called you to do. Okay, so that's the definition I want you to take away with you and go and look in your Bibles and see if it works. Every time it says grace, put that in and say, what Ed was saying, does it work? Is it right? Does it fit? That's, that's your homework. Steve's going to test you next week on all 150 passages. Let's just go back to those three questions I asked earlier. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proud people don't see they need God's presence or power. They think they can do it on their own. That's what pride is. Pride is about, I can do this. I can make it on my own. I was going to burst into song there, but maybe not. Um, no. They think, they think they can do it on their own. I don't know about you, but humble people know the truth of their weakness and of their inadequacy. And in the presence of God, they know it even more. And therefore need to ask God for his power and his help to them. Are we able to fall from grace? Well, if you think you can follow the raw, the law, the rule, and be righteous in your own strength and on your own abilities, then in that sense we have rejected or fallen from the grace of God. If it is a relationship, you can move away from the relationship with God. Grace is there for you, but you have a choice. Three, is Jesus full of grace? Is he full of the presence and power of God, which enables him to be who he was called to be and to do what he was called to do? I would say probably yes. Is it that one? Again, look at it. Think about it. Let us therefore come boldly. That wasn't me. That's my timer. I'm out of time. And your answer, your final answer is, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Firstly, the right here is encouraging us to boldly or with confidence approach God. He doesn't mean timidly scraping our heads on the ground. He means with the knowledge that we've been made right through Christ, justified, that we've been made clean through Jesus, sometimes called sanctified, so that we can come to God and be plain speaking. That's a good translation of the word there, plain speaking. Second, God's throne is a throne of grace, a place where his presence is, where he sits a place where we can become aware of who we really are and be transformed into that person. It's good to know it's not a throne of judgment. 
It's not a throne of justice. It's not a throne of the law. It's a throne of grace. But what do we get first when we come to him? We get mercy. We get his love. We get the waving of what we deserve. We get Jesus on the cross. We get that transaction that we think we need to pay for God's love, for God's relationship. And lastly, we get grace. We get the empowering presence of God to be who he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. Okay, back to that first passage, saved by grace. Should we throw this couple of translations in there and see what we get? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, you messed it up, right? We've all messed it up. Even Steve, maybe not Viv. Definitely not my, definitely not my wife who's just walked in. She's, as my daughter said, she's perfect in nearly every way. And it's very true. So, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. You messed it up. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. All of us. You messed up, I messed up, the Pope messed up, the Queen messed up. We've all messed up. No one's above the bar. We're all under it. We've all... That's what Paul's saying. You know? If Paul's like getting at you at this point, that's what he was trying to do. You know? Messed. We're messed up. Or we were. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That means we deserved God's anger. We deserved not to be in relationship with him. We deserved not to have the thing that we most desired. Utter separation from God. But because of his great love for us, see, love comes first. God, who is rich in mercy. Mercy? I love that phrase, rich in mercy. It sounds so abundant, doesn't it? It sounds like, I don't know about you, but if I was rich, I'm just imagining. If I was rich, it, it feels like, oh, yeah, I'll just pay for that. Oh, I'll just sort that out. Oh, it doesn't really matter. I've got loads of money. That's kind of my, con do you know what I mean? That's my kind of feeling. That's my kind of thought. And then I, s I hear God's rich in mercy, and it's like, yeah, you can have some mercy. I've got loads of it. Here's some mercy. Have a bit more mercy. Wicked. Don't worry about it. I've got tons of this stuff. And it's good. We need it. Because of his mercy, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. That's the things we've done wrong. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by God's empowering presence to be who he's called you to be and to do what he's called you to do that you are saved, that you have salvation, that you have an ongoing relationship with God the Father that can start right here, right now. Not next week, not when I've sorted my stuff out, not when I die, right here, right now. That's God's invitation to you. And then God, grace, 
us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. That sounds like something's changed. It sounds like there's transformation happening. He's raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. In order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace you have been saved through faith through believing through humbling yourself it's there I once heard someone say like this if God's grace is a gift which it is say I've got a bag of sweets right oh, no, no, let's change that say I've got Marmite on toast who likes Marmite who doesn't like Marmite? Right, 50-50 split, perfect. <laughs> so I've got Marmite on toast, and I go, here's some free Marmite on toast, do you want it? Boom, it's free, she takes it. Who doesn't like Marmite? Here's some Marmite on toast, do you want it? No thanks. It's still a free gift, right? But you have to receive it to get it. You have to take it. You have to engage with it. You don't just, it's not just there and you don't have to do anything with it. It's not just a concept or a, a thing that happens to you. It's not forced upon you. It's like everything we've got. It's a choice. He invites you in to have a relationship, to be loved, to be known, to be transformed. He doesn't go, here's the marmite, eat it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you don't have marmite, do you, in the States? I should have phrased that differently. Do you know what Marmite is? Okay, good. Ah, oh, Terence, you've been transformed already <laughs> into a proper man of God. It's not by works. You can't earn it. It's not a transaction. It is a transaction, but the transaction is done. It's not a transaction for us. That's what I'm saying. But grace is not cheap. It's free. But by its very nature, it transforms us and crosses everything. But that everything is already his, isn't it? When I humble myself and say, I've fallen short, I'm yours, I've already given him everything. And he's given me far, mo far more back. So that no one can boast. Remain humble because God resists the proud. Trust me, I've been proud, and he resists me. <laughs> and when I humble myself, he's right there. For we are God's handiwork. God made us. We're made in his image. Created in Christ Jesus to do the good works. Anyone want to do good works? Anyone want to do good works? Not because I can then earn my salvation, but because Jesus loves me, and I want to share that love with the world. I don't know about you. This week's been a brutal week. Uh, we all know what's been going on. But what's going to change that? What's going to change that? Being the people Jesus has called us to be. Doing the things he's called us to do. Showing his love, his mercy, his grace to the rest of the world. To Balaam. To your neighbor. To your wife. To your kids. My kids need it. Crying at the moment. No, I'm joking. So my 
exhortation to you, if you like, is to receive his, his gift of grace. Receive it. He's got it for you. And be transformed. And not just today, but tomorrow and the next day. Keep receiving it. It's there. And keep, keep being transformed. You'll soon look like Steve, and then you'll go past him, because he's only a little bit away from Jesus. One last thing, and then we're going to pray for each other and worship again, I think. Just to let you know, I know all of this stuff because I'm his favorite. All right? You think I'm joking? I'm not joking, Laura. I am his favorite. You don't believe me, do you? This is a quick... I heard someone say this the other day. It really... It, I, it kind of offended me. I was like, going, you're not his favourite, I'm his favourite. <laughs> How can you be his favourite? I'm definitely his favourite. And then I was like, I'm probably not his favourite, actually. <laughs> I'd really like to be his favourite. I don't know about you, if you've got kids, all my three kids think are they're my favourite. I tell all of them, I'm like, you're my favourite. <laughs> don't tell the others, you're my favourite. <laughs> right? I'm like, you... And they're all like, oh, I'm his favourite, I'm his favourite. They're like, no, you're not. Oh, I'm his favourite. And then I'm like that, winking at them, going, you're my favourite. You're my favourite. <laughs> why do I do that? I'll tell you why I do that. Because I, honestly, when I look at them, I don't look at them as a group. I look at them individually. I go, Jonah, when I look at Jonah, I go, Jonah, you are amazing. I absolutely adore you. You're my favourite. There's nothing more I can, oh, I just love them so much, right? And then I go to Zach and I go, Zach, wow, flip. You flip, flip and flip and jump and bounce and smile and laugh. And God, you're amazing. I love you. You're my favorite, right? And then I go to Karis, who is obviously my favorite. (laughs) And I go, wow, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. You're incredible. You're so feisty and you're so, I can't describe how amazing she is. You'll see her later. She's just won a gold medal. When you see her, she's just done a gymnastics competition this morning and got gold. Go, girl. She's incredible. But you see, I can look at them and be honest and say those things because I'm looking at them. And when I come into a relationship with God, he looks at me and he says, I love you. Look at you. I made you in my image. I love you. You're incredible. Look at the, look at the way I made you so ginger. I don't know. Whatever it is. I'm cheesing. <laughs> look at the way I made you strike a golf ball. Steve is better than me at golf. I hate to admit it, but he is. Are we? No. I didn't say that. I'll take it back. I still outdrive him, but the rest of my game's pretty poor. But God feels like that about you, about you, and about you. About all of you. He looks at you, and he wants a relationship with you. Let us therefore boldly approach his throne of grace together so we might receive his mercy, which we so desperately need, and get all that we need to be the people we've been called to be, to do the things we've been called to do, and to see this world change, to see it transformed, to see this church change, to see you changed, to see Balaam changed. Isn't that what we want? To be the people God's called us to be and to do the things he's called us to do. I'm going to invite my wife up. Is that better? She's like,
wrap it up quick. Wrap it up. This is my beautiful wife, Emma. You can give her a big round of applause. She's incredible. She's definitely the better half of this relationship. <laughs> she hasn't done very well. I have. Yeah, but she hasn't got... No, I'm joking. That's all right. What we're going to do, we're just going to invite God to come. I'm going to invite you to stand. Uh, if you've not been to church before, this might feel a bit weird. Trust me, it is a bit weird, but it's amazing. We're just going to invite God to come and see what he wants to do. And then the band are going to sing, and then there'll be more time to have some food and chat and hang out. So Jesus, I just ask you to come right now by your Holy Spirit.